Welcome to another episode of Andy Hears the 80s. I'm your host, Andy, joined as always by my guest host, Aaron Keck. Hello. This is the show where we go through the music of the 1980s and figure out uh, what exactly is worth owning. <laughs> and so far, we have we went through the first episode was what I had already going into this. Last week, we hit up uh, the big ones, Thriller and Four Others, as we like to call it. <laughs> and now we're uh, dipping into a little bit of uncharted territory for us. We've got old school hip hop. This yeah. is uh, what what I've you know what I think going in is probably one of the most important new developments of the of the decade. Uh, but you know, let's we'll go through it one album at a time. We've got five of them here. And we'll see uh, what we really think. I mean, what are the other new developments of the 80s that compete with this? Yeah, there's not many. Yeah, I mean, there are there are some, but I mean... Yeah, and well, you know, obviously we'll hit other ones uh, down right. the line. But I think this one is probably the one that's most being felt still today, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. Like, I think 100 years from now or 200 years from now, when music anthropologists are looking back at this period, like 1980s development right. of hip-hop, I think, first and foremost. Yeah. The same way that there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of movements and developments in the 1950s. What is it we're going to remember? Mm-hmm. The development of rock and roll. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So the uh, hip hop here, we've got. I mean, really, hip hop in general started in New York, New yes. York City. This is DJs who were playing clubs, and then would start rhyming over the songs they were playing, mm-hmm. and then that became the new club thing to do. And then people started uh, recording it. Yeah. And I think part of what we're what we're going to hear off of these albums is that transition from the live performance to mm-hmm. the recording. I think there's something to be said for the fact that that really forces you to, as a musical artist, to rethink and reconsider yeah. what it is that you are producing because the the live track or what you're doing live. Mm-hmm doesn't necessarily have to be replicated. Like when you're doing something live, it's not something that is going to be, people are going to be listening to the same thing over and over and over. When you're doing something recorded, you're recording something that's going to be listened to and re-listened to and re-listened to. Right. And that changes what you produce. So mm-hmm. I think that's what we're going to see between like Sugar Hill Gang and when we get, which we're going to start with and then when right. we get later into the 80s. I think that change is yeah. partly the the difference. And there. you can see it even just going through these five. You can kind of see oh, yeah. the transition from just straight up recording what they were doing live to yep. a new thing. Yeah. So yeah, the first one, February of 1980, the Sugar Hill Gang debut album. Uh, the single Rapper's Delight was released uh, just last, the year before, 1979, mm-hmm. and then a full-length album released in 1980. Yeah. This is kind of the one that most people would probably think of when you think early hip-hop, right? Yeah. You know. This, and and we'll get to the message later, mm-hmm. but like, Rapper's Delight and the message, those yeah. two. Yeah. And I then, love the fact that the Sugar Hill Gang didn't exist. Yeah. This, was a, this was a group that was artificially put together by a producer mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that the, the Sex Pistols were artificially yeah, put basically. together by a... a a guy who was trying to sell clothes uh-huh. yeah. at the sex boutique or whatever yeah, yeah, it was yeah. called. Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, Sylvia Robinson founded the Sugar Hill record label, hmm. um, named after a neighborhood in Harlem, but based in New Jersey, of course, of course, as any outside of New York <laughs> person would do. And, uh, all the performers here are from New Jersey too. It's interesting. You're, you know, you're right that this is kind of the sex pistols of hip hop, but, it's notable, at least, that 
Sylvia Robinson, a R&B performer from 50s, 60s, into the the 70s, could start uh, and produce a successful label. Uh, on her own i think that's notable too even if it is has have an artificial feel to it and it's not just the sugar hill gang like sugar hill records persists Mm -hmm. when um, grandmaster flash when we get to the message that was a sugar hill yeah and other other artists would get signed to this Mm -hmm. but so let's hear the interesting thing that i found listening to this everybody knows rappers delight i would say half of this record isn't even hip-hop oh no it's well it's because they didn't think that a hip-hop record would sell right because none had before this mm-hmm. was this was inventing a genre and putting it on uh putting it on disc for the first time or putting it on on vinyl for the first time they just assumed that you needed some other stuff in order to get right. people to buy it so half of this album is half of this album is r&b mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i uh, just to demonstrate this i'm going to play the first track this is called here i am and you'll see just how not hip hop they wanted to, you know, have half the album beat. Yeah. The first time I listened to this, I'm like, did I get the right the thing? The rights you did, yeah. Oh, the R&B songs on this album are so bad. They're so bad. I was listening to it like, this is this is what would happen if the band that you hired to play at a wedding reception uh-huh. like late into the night said, you know what? You guys have been such a great yeah. audience. We would like to play some songs that we've yeah, written they ourselves. They playing their original tunes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's just has already gone to the open <laughs> bar a whole bunch of times, so they don't even care. Right. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I mean, you know, like we said, people weren't sure how to market hip hop or right. that people would buy a hip hop record. So I guess you had to play it safe, quote unquote, with these R and B tracks. Yeah. Well, and in very much the same way as like early rock music from the nineteen mm-hmm. fifties, would people buy right. African American artists? You had to start by taking the songs and getting pat boone into the studio to record <laughs> right. them and then it's a couple of years later oh no people will actually right. buy this stuff let's get that out there too yeah it's interesting too that uh rapper's delight is the last song on this record mm-hmm. too you, you know people still bought singles obviously and a lot of people bought that one but it's interesting that that's practically buried on the second side of the record yeah yeah well insofar as it's what 14 minutes long well the, something like the, that. the long version the long is. version yeah. yes which the cd thankfully includes the full <laughs> almost 15 minute version 
uh the the album cut i think is probably only like five minutes long yeah something like that but uh all it, of it, the tracks on this album are surprisingly long yeah like they're still recording they're still recording this album as if it's a live performance and they need to you right. know they're performing in front of a live audience they need to keep the music going mm-hmm. yeah there's only six tracks on mm-hmm. the album proper there's a couple bonus tracks on the cd uh, but yeah, three on each side, really. Yeah. And like I said, half of them are hip-hop, half of them are R&B. Basically. Well, the story of Rapper's Delight is fun because they've interviewed people who were mm-hmm. sort of studio musicians. They're like They're bringing people in and they're like, okay, you have to play bass or you're playing percussion right. or whatever. Uh, and we've got these guys, they're just going to rap for 15 straight minutes and all you have to do is keep up the beat for yeah. 15 minutes like what are you recording because they didn't know right yeah you think about it now i mean you know everybody uh samples different songs mm-hmm. and stuff in hip-hop this was sampling but they had to literally play it play over it, again yeah. so yeah that baseline was played on repeat for 15 minutes straight yeah this was sampling what good times by sheep yeah. is that what it was yeah which led to lawsuits i love the fact that up through I think the 90s, there was still a sort of controversy about the mm-hmm. fact that hip-hop songs were sampling other songs. Like, yeah. oh, it's plagiarism, and now finally it's mm-hmm. taken as just sort of part of the genre. But Right. Yeah, it's understood like, today, but yeah, it was uncharted territory. Really. The, the great controversy of 1990 when... Uh, uh, ice ice baby comes out it's like oh he's plagiarizing because <laughs> right. he's sampling from under pressure and then he has that stupid interview uh-huh. on mtv it was like no it's a little bit different yeah. it's like nowadays you could come and say yes we're sampling from right. under pressure but for that first decade and a half of hip-hop like people had to defend themselves mm-hmm. in some way so then the, yeah the interesting thing then we get into our next one uh, this is Curtis Blow's debut album, mm-hmm. uh, also from 1980, released in September. And this was the first one of the batch that I listened to. And I did that when I opened it up and was listening to it. I went to look for the sample credits and was like, oh, no, the, no the, they just list there. the musicians yeah. yep. here who played it. So that was my first like kind of eye-opening. Oh, this is they were recording, you know, everything then. Yeah. I like to, the first song on this is called Rap and Blow Part 2. Part 2. To my knowledge, there is no part (laughs) one. I tried to see if there was maybe a single or something, but no. I think that's that's maybe my favorite part of the album right there. Is the fact that the first song is part two, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing I like about this, uh, especially in comparison to Sugar Hill, this whole first side, the three songs go continuously one into the other. So yes. you could put it on as a party record. And just leave it going. And just yeah. let it go. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of a better way to blend that, uh, you know, live performance versus uh, recorded. Uh, I'll play a little bit of the second track, which was the big one off here. This is called The Breaks.
saw a count online they says something he says the break something like 80 times i think <laughs> in this whole song uh but this one maybe some people will recognize because this was actually sampled a lot down the line in right. other songs i like the um the wordplay with this mm-hmm. like you don't really get that from uh rapper's delight like yeah. you listen all the way through it there's not really much in the way of wordplay this is taking the idea of the the musical break and just sort of expanding it out in a whole bunch of different ways. And we'll get to Grandmaster Flash, which is the first sort of, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the message. So it's right. the first message song. Mm-hmm. But you start to get a little hint of that with Curtis Blow. Yeah. And yeah, I do think that his lyrics are much more interesting than the Sugar Hill, especially yes. we kind of glazed over that 15 minute version for good reason i think it's not good. all the verses they cut if you can believe it are <laughs> way worse than the ones that are on there yeah one yeah. of them's and like repetitive like, yeah one of them's just like a series of similes that don't really seem to go anywhere yes and then there's one about uh something i don't know if he's saying he's superman or he could take superman's woman it's a. I don't. I think it's he could take Superman. To yeah, if I remember right. Yeah, I, he's, he works the words. I think it's super sperm into the lyrics somewhere. At, yeah, which there's a reason it was cut right <laughs> from the shorter version. Yeah, but yeah, I think the wordplay from Curtis and I think his flow in general is a lot better. It's than, a lot better. You can already see, like, just from 1979 to 1980, mm-hmm. like the just development of what a hip-hop album is and again like as we get into the the early to mid 80s it mm-hmm. gets just exponentially better yeah i also and i want uh, curtis blow is not the right person to to bring this up <laughs> to but the fact that every hip-hop artist uh is going by a a, a stage name mm-hmm. uh, which you don't really see so much in rock music you get a little bit of that right. but every single hip-hop artist up until i don't even know when mm-hmm. like who was the who's the first hip-hop like significant hip-hop artist to to go on stage by their own name i don't think that comes in until the 90s at least uh maybe some that we'll hear next week maybe okay. but uh but yeah these old school i mean before Curtis Blow started recording, uh, he did go by uh, Cool DJ Kurt. Yes, when you would uh, when he would book, get booked as a DJ, and we'll get into yeah Grandmaster Flash, uh, African Bombada, which we'll mm-hmm. get to Colmo D, yeah. which is a spin on his own name, right. but still. The, I I do want to say that the the second side of the Curtis Blow album kind of takes a turn. Uh, it has like kind of that R&B song yes. that was necessary, apparently. And then to close out the album is a just straight-up cover of Taking Care of Business. Yeah. Which I thought, when I saw it on there, I'm like, okay, maybe it's, you know, a, a hip-hop version. No, it's nope, just it's literally just Taking Care of business. business. Yeah, which I guess Run, DMP, Run DMC will perfect in a few years. With yeah. Way. yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly, a foreshadowing almost. Yep. 
And the, the CD version of the Curtis Blow album does include as a bonus track uh, his song Christmas Rappin', Christmas Rappin', which was actually his first single that he released the year prior that uh, apparently put him on the map. Uh, all right. <laughs> right. Whatever works. I mean, hey. The Breaks uh, did manage to sell more uh, singles, but uh, yeah, I guess Christmas Rappin'. Uh, you know, people still didn't know what to expect, right? That's so if you're going to sell yeah. something, I guess a novelty song. There's also definitely something to be said for the, the album covers as mm-hmm. well. It's just like trying to figure out how to market hip-hop. You've right. got Curtis Blow who's just sort of standing there with his shirt off mm-hmm. wearing a couple of gold chains, but you're sort of marketing the, the sort of sex appeal mm-hmm. of Curtis Blow. Uh, we'll get to Cool Modi, which is, yeah. you know, standing there in front of a in front of a mansion and a and a, a fancy car and then mm-hmm. you've got Grandmaster Flash which I know we're going to next and they've got the more sort of uh, urban we're in the streets of New York we've mm-hmm. got the boombox and this is this is about what life is like in the city right yeah you know? let's let's move on to Grandmaster yeah. Flash now this is Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five while we're talking about the album cover there are seven people on this album cover. Now, Grandmaster Flash plus five, that's six. That's right. I don't know <laughs> I don't know who this guy is who's potentially snuck into this uh, right. photo. But uh, though even on the back of the record, the photo of him has seven people. So, yeah, I don't... Who knows? It's like the, the crazy 88s from... Uh, from <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not actually 88 just sent Furious them, Five. Yeah. It sounds it's better, yeah. Furious Five. Furious Five is six. So, yes, they're... Uh, let's see, Grand... This album, The Message, came out October 1982, so a couple years after right. uh, Sugar Hill and Curtis Blow. And this is another song. You mentioned this with uh, with Rapper's Delight sort of being buried at the bottom of the album. The mm-hmm. Message is buried at the bottom of this album, yeah. too. Yeah, it's the final song. And it's song another seven-minute track, so this isn't right. the sort of thing that is, is recorded to get radio airplay, but mm-hmm. it's the one that takes off. And they even said they were kind of hesitant to record it just because... Mm-hmm. They had been so much, you know, it's uh, hip hop. It was a party act. It was more oh, yeah. fun, easygoing. Yeah. And this is a, a song with a serious message. If well, you I mean, will. kind of the same thing. And again, I'm I'm sort of drawing the the parallel between these first uh, these first albums in in old school hip hop and mm-hmm. sort of the emergence of rock music in the 1950s because that's my frame of reference. Like, how long does it take for? Right for rock musicians to start saying, oh, we can be socially conscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it takes a lot longer for rock music to get to that point than yeah. it does for hip hop. It takes a few years for hip hop to get to this point with the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And But as soon as they do, then it's controversial. Right. Yeah. But then also it it's controversial, but then does kind of spawn yeah. like a whole new generation. Oh, yeah. After it's controversial that. the first time until right. people get used to it and then you, you come yeah. to accept it. Yeah. And this this album was produced. Uh, it's on Sugar Hill Records, produced by Sylvia Robinson, mm-hmm. as well as Clifton Jiggs Chase, uh, who would do the famous uh, synth line that's in the message. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we go ahead and take a listen? Like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. 
brings down the party <laughs> yeah right i know it's got that great beat up front and then all of a sudden everybody's yeah. in a bad mood well this is this is actually really interesting because you, you mentioned sort of hip-hop emerging as sort of the the, the, mm-hmm. uh, the party music and then turning into this like very quickly but you know this is grandmaster flash and the furious five grandmaster flash is virtually nowhere to be found mm-hmm. not only on the song but on the whole album it's other people who are rapping and grandmaster flash is the dj right the, the people who you're sort of prominently hearing are the rappers. And this is not just the transition from party music into something a little more socially conscious. This is also the transition from hip-hop as a live form of right. art to hip-hop as something recorded. Eventually, by the time you get to the 90s, I think the role of the DJ is in serious decline. Mm-hmm. And that's because hip-hop has transitioned from sort of the live party genre where the dj is very very prominent to the recorded where you're not spinning records on a turn you're actually recording the records in the studio Mm -hmm. and it's the it's the vocalists that are that are sort of emerging in prominence so yeah this is the first one of our bunch that uh starts to blend the actual samples with live performance you get like uh we can hear a little bit of track two. Uh, it, it's nasty. Where uh, this is this has uh, some sampling as well as the live performance. You get that. Uh... And it still has that kind of party sound too. Yeah. Yeah, the message is the only track mm-hmm. on this album that's really socially, right? Like consciously socially conscious, right? Mm-hmm. And that comes at the very end of the album. So this lures you into a false sense <laughs> of complacency, right. and then like hits you over the head with the message literally yeah. at the end. This is you go to a party and you're there for three hours having a good time, and then someone comes forward and says, "Actually, we're here to raise money for <laughs> sick children." Like, oh come on, yeah. And uh, the CD version does also include the the Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel, which was released just as a single mm. uh, on on vinyl. And that one is all samples. That's just Grandmaster Flash, just cutting up. Uh, I believe he uses three different turntables on this one, mixed with samples of the Flash movie. Uh, so it, that one, it's pretty cool to hear that. Yeah. Grandmaster Flash is such a such a seminal figure in hip hop mm-hmm. in the seventies, yeah. uh, and uh, and just everyone who's on this album is so so important. Who is it? It's someone. It's someone from the Furious Five. It's Cowboy who uh, who invented the term hip hop in the first place. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, 
as uh, making fun of uh, making fun of a of a of a, a military unit marching hip hop hip hop <laughs> hip hop hip hop and then that turns into right. he makes that part of his rap and then that becomes the the word for the whole mm-hmm. genre yeah and uh and melly mel the uh, lead vocalist mm-hmm. in furious five would go on uh, he appears on a couple of these other ones too and would be pretty successful in his own right yeah and now I don't think Grandmaster Flash is is with the Furious Five anymore. I think it's Grandmaster Melly Mel on the Furious uh, yeah, Five. It might be, yeah. Right. yeah. But now let's see. The next one we'll go into uh, Planet Rock, the album. This is uh, Africa Bambada. This one's my favorite. This one at this point is when you start moving from very early '80s into the mid '80s, and mm-hmm. now you see just. Now that now that artists like the Sugar Hill Gang and Curtis Blow and Grandmaster Flash have sort of gotten the genre onto a record and you can see what's possible, mm-hmm. now it's time for people to say, okay, let's tweak this and make it really yeah. like legitimately good. This one's fun to listen to uh, just because this album uh, is kind of a collection of what was released as singles mm-hmm. between 1981 and 86. The album itself came out... Uh, in 1986, uh, yeah. December. Uh, so it's almost, it's a little time capsule in, of its own, right? So yeah. the, the songs kind of get more and more complex as they go through the album. Definitely. And I think this is the first one, though, where, I mean, it's a time capsule, but like compared to Sugar Hill Gang, if that mm-hmm. album, Sugar Hill Gang, had been released today, it wouldn't right. do anything at yeah. all. If Grandmaster Flash came out today, mm-hmm. it wouldn't do anything because the genre has just moved so far beyond it that uh, no one would care. But I think if this came out today, it would hold up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It, it even does. Uh, this was one of the first ones, uh, or Africa Bambada himself was the first one to kind of popularize uh, the 808 uh, drum machine, mm-hmm. which is still being used today. Yep. And you can hear uh, his influence of even Kraftwerk was one of his chief influences for like Planet Rock, the song, which we can play a little bit of now. The Zulu Nation then yo get funky Yeah, just hit me Just face the funk and hit me Just get on down and hit me That bot just getting so funky now Yeah, it's a much different sound than the ones we had heard pro- yeah, uh, previously. Definitely. And sort of in the in the same vein as I mean, you mentioned Kraftwerk as the as a as an influence, but mm-hmm. that is that a is that a synth that we're hearing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Thriller. <laughs> like that would be <laughs> that would true. not be out of place on on a pop album mm-hmm. in the mid '80s either. Yeah, and you have to imagine. I mean, like. I'm sure Quincy Jones was going to hip hop oh, yeah. shows. I mean, he wasn't just sitting in a booth by himself. I'm sure he took all this in for all this new New York. Oh sound yeah, and, big time. It's not like this. It. It's not like pop music influences this. It's the other way yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, this one was cool. I, I think uh, and Africa Bambad himself founds a art collective, the Zulu Nation, in the '70s, which uh, I think 
centralized a lot of more African themes and brought out uh, some more influence, not just being African-American, but being African, mm-hmm. right? So that was a, a good cultural touchstone for a lot of people. Yeah. But yeah, that's I good. I, I, <laughs> well, I, I guess it's also, uh, you, we can point out, this was uh, influential, obviously, to a lot of artists and was covered. Uh, the third track on here is Renegades of Funk, which mm-hmm. would get covered by Rage Against the Machine about, what, 20 years later, I guess. it was Really? Turn, it was probably 2000 when that when their yeah, album like came out. 15 years later, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, one of my problems with this week is that, uh, is that like, I'm hearing the 80s for the first time, too, <laughs> uh-huh. here with this. Because, like, my, my background knowledge on old school hip-hop is so minimal mm-hmm. that I'm listening to all of these albums for the first time. I'm like, turning on Grandmaster Flash and listening to the message, I'm like... Oh, that's what that song right. is. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many moments on all these where you're like, oh, that's oh, right. where I've the, heard that. Okay, yeah, yeah, I got that with the breaks too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I know. Th- that's kind of what's been f- what, like, you know, I knew going into this, I'm like, I know that there's stuff from the 80s that matter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so just finding it and going, it just starts putting this all the is pieces what it together. Is. Yeah. Right? But I don't have a frame of reference to be able to talk intelligently about it. Like, yep, that's African <laughs> right. Barbada. Yeah, it's really good. It holds up today. Uh-huh. Now, the last one we've got uh, this week is Cool Modi's How You Like Me Now. Did this come out after Africa Barbada? This was 1987. Okay. Uh, November of that year. Uh, this is his second solo album. He had recorded some uh, with a group called The Treacherous Three. Mm-hmm. And they were on Sugar Hill Records, actually. Um, this one is on Jive Records. And African Babata, I should point out, is on Tommy Boy Records, which is another big label Mm -hmm. uh, at the time. Uh, This one, I like this one because it shows that where it's starting to old school and new school are sort of coexisting for just a very short amount of time. Uh, How You Like Me Now, the leadoff track, is aimed directly at LL Cool J, uh, who you might know now as the star of your aunt's favorite TV show. Uh, (laughs) And... But back then, of course, he was an up-and-coming new school rapper in New York. The front, the album cover we talked about, you can see under the under the tire of his car, there's a red Kangol hat. Right, LL Cool J's hat. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. So I like this as sort of like a little piece of rap rivalries that that are starting to brew. Yeah. And then uh, the whole first song, like I said, is directed. This is also laying down the foundation down. for future hip hop beats oh, yeah. as well. Like people are modeling theirs after mm-hmm. uh, LL Cool J versus Cool Modi. Yeah. So but how did that start? Cool Modi came out first. LL Cool J came out after that, and Cool Modi was accusing LL Cool J of sort of ripping off his stuff. Right, right? And, yeah. and I think LL said so, you know something about how Cool Modi's done. Right, like he's yeah, over. Yeah. This is the new shit. And right. So I think. That's how you like me now, right? You said I can't sell records. How you like me now? That's right. what it is. So let's hear a little bit about that first track. Another MC get paid using my rap style, and I'm playing the background. Meanwhile, I ain't 
return of the Jedi. Sucker MCs in the place that said I could only rock rhymes and only rock crowds, but never rock records. How you like me now? The other thing I noticed between Sugar Hill Gang and Cool Mordia, like mm-hmm. that eight-year gap between right. 1979 and 1987, is Sugar Hill Gang is their raps are real simple. Mm-hmm. Like this is it's the sort of thing that it's the sort of thing that my mom was referring to <laughs> right. back when she said, "Oh, rap, I could do that." Uh-huh. Like Sugar Hill Gang isn't too far. Like what they're putting down on a record isn't too far removed from what you hear now from like. I do I do improv comedy. I'm not I'm not on the hip hop improv team, but there is a hip hop <laughs> okay. improv team who will get up. There's a beatboxer. Mm-hmm. They just improvise hip hop tracks. What they do to sort of making stuff up on stage is pretty much what you hear from the Sugar Hill. Like it's that right. level of quality. Cool Modi. By the time you get to the mid '80s, it's just so much better. Mm-hmm. And then you get further on into the '90s, and you get even better and even better and even better. And now you get like much more complicated lyrics, right. which is what you're getting from Cool Modi. Yeah, yeah. Sugar Hill. You know, they're like if you were gonna have somebody make up a joke hip hop song, it would be that like, would be it. my name's. Andy and I'm here to say like that's the that's what it is exactly yeah. I'm Master G listen yeah. to me <laughs> everything is here's who I am here's what I'm doing yep etc yeah. and yeah and so now I mean you know Cool Mo D I think that's probably why he was influential to begin with right you know he started mm-hmm. to change up the rhythm change up yep. Yep. Uh, the topics and stuff I think uh, you know and maybe that's it's it's interesting to see him like I said in that world where people are influenced by him and are performing at potentially the same level, you know, of audience. But uh, I think, and you start, you know, you start to hear, hear on here, like on that song, we just heard the mm-hmm. James Brown sample. So you're getting, it's, it's eight, it's eight years later. So sampling technology has come a long way. Yeah. P- the tracks are getting more produced that way. It's come to be more accepted, even though mm-hmm. it's still semi, there's still a legal a gray area, yeah. but at least people are, yeah, they yeah. recognize the sound. You also get the, uh, I mean, we, t- we talked about this before we started, but uh, you also get a lot more homophobic with Cool Mode, you know? <laughs> I mean, Not even on that particular track, but. Yeah, this one, I mean, even on the message, there's a. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's like a, I don't know why so many people are afraid of prison rape. Like that's, and then what it might do to them. Right, right. That seems to be a theme that kind of runs the, yeah i mean the 80s were a weird time i guess but <laughs> i don't know if that really you can't really sure write it off explain everything away <laughs> in this entire podcast oh well, the 80s yeah. were a weird time i guess <laughs> but yeah so i mean obviously uh, some stuff would not play as well today for that reason yeah not that it played well necessarily but it was a different time but 30 years ago, I think it that did play ago. well is the thing. Like, Maybe right. Yeah. And the reason it keeps getting picked up again and again is that it was playing well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's one of the three. It's worth pointing <laughs> out. Yeah. 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 The other thing, uh, Cool Modi, the second track on here, uh, some people might be familiar with as he did. He collaborated with Will Smith to do a version of that song again several years later for the mm. Wild Wild West movie. Yeah. And here's the... Uh, and uh, I was thinking about this when we were talking about Grandmaster Flash and mm-hmm. sort of the, the prominence of the DJ going away and the promise, right. prominence of the vocalist sort of rising, Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Mm-hmm. Like, 
who is the prominent one in that group <laughs> right. it's the fresh prince so like he's the one who really takes off because he's the vocalist dj jazzy jeff is the the power behind the mm-hmm. throne but he doesn't have the same prominence whereas not 10 years earlier the fear like who is it that's actually laying down the track on the message mm-hmm. you can get online and look it up but who do you associate with the message grandmaster flash right. who's nowhere to be found on that track mm-hmm. at all which is interesting yeah at least to, you know with fresh prince and jazzy jeff they did do you the solid of saying he's the dj i'm yes. the rapper yeah, right yeah, yeah. so they yeah. get that out of the way right in the album title yeah and it's kind of the same thing. One of the first albums that we listened to was uh, Public Enemy, right? Where, yeah, back in the yeah where you've got the like the really prominent mm-hmm. uh, figures who come out of Public Enemy, the ones that we the ones that we know today, Chuck D, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Flav, Flav. Uh, they spend half of that album giving props to the DJ, right? But he's not the one that we know mm-hmm. today. And the, the the Bomb Squad, their producers spent you know so much time with that record in the studio while everybody else was oh, touring. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. half of the group is in the studio at all times, just making the beats. Yep, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch the process evolve, right? Mm-hmm. From just a band of live musicians yep. playing maybe something they heard before, maybe something they're making up. Yep. To just full on guys in a studio cutting clips together, yeah, making beats out. It's of... a big difference. Yeah, art in the age of mechanical reproduction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so I guess that'll probably do it for old school hip hop. Okay. Uh, there's more we could go into, but I like to limit to five. Uh, and the one thing I should yeah, point why out, the, why did you pick these five? Uh, well, you're, these the one five, who's, you're the one who's choosing the, the albums here. So, you know, I, I look up a lot of, I try and look up lists of influential albums, influential mm-hmm. artists, and I try and get something that kind of represents multiple uh, angles, multiple directions, mm-hmm. which I think I got from this one. A lot of these were influential on other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I wanted to also... The Africa Bambata one, I ended up... This is the first one that I could not get a CD copy of. I had to get it on iTunes, which is part of the reason... (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, part of the reason I have this collection is because I like to look at the shelf and I see what came out what year. And so now I'm going to have to, at some point, track down a physical copy of... I mean, you could still... I mean, we've got... We've got a burned CD right. of Africa Bambata. You could just stick that in your. Uh, <laughs> I could put this on your shelf in the in relevant year. You just wouldn't get the album art. Yeah, but that album. I mean, how would I know that? I need to figure out who I this don't... mystery seventh person is on the cover of the message. <laughs> Maybe it's Africa Bambata. <laughs> He's just walking. He's just by. Photoshop, uh, <laughs> photo bombing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. Uh, so hopefully, you know, I've picked out five uh, for next week for some new school hip hop. Mm-hmm. I was able to obtain all five. That's good. Uh, which I'm excited about. There was a couple I was looking for that I couldn't find, so I had to bump them for other ones. But uh, there, there's obviously, from these five albums, I think so much springs out. Yeah. It's it's difficult to, I'm not going to say that these next five for next week are going to be, this is the definitive five uh, new school hip hop, because that's just impossible. But right. uh, we could circle back around. I want to hit as much 80s music as possible in this first run. Uh and there's all there's obviously a lot yeah. to find, but uh, I think we've got some exciting stuff. Um, little Run DMC, of course, Beastie Boys, of course, um, Eric B and Rakim. Nice. If you're looking for artists who use their real names, oh yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, that'll be next week. We'll tackle some of the new stuff, and then from there, 
uh, who knows? We've got, I've got a lot of different directions we can go in. Cool. But, uh, so, Aaron, like thank it. you. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Until then, that was the 80s. That was the 80s. Thanks for listening to Andy Here's the 80s. Do you know who that seventh person is on the cover of the message? Send me an email at andyhearsthe80s at gmail.com. That's 80s spelled out, E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S, at gmail.com. Or follow me on Twitter at Andy Hears It. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.